0: Hey guys, welcome to Rambling Roy's, a podcast where we seek to see how Jesus intersects our everyday lives. Um, sorry that this isn't going to be a usual Thursday episode. We had a bunch of technical difficulties, so we are going to be sharing one of our favorite sermons from this semester, so I hope you guys enjoy. You got it? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Sweet. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, again, glad you all are here as we in this week of midterms and getting ready for spring break. Uh, we're continuing on looking at relationships tonight. Uh, we've looked at a bunch of kind of the heart level mindset aspect of relationships this semester. Uh, last week, we looked at the church. And tonight, uh, we move on to look at relationships uh, in families. So uh, we'll be looking at a couple passages from the story of Joseph uh, from the book of Genesis and then a passage from the book of Ephesians. Uh, So hear God's word tonight. First passage is from Genesis 37. (coughs) Uh, Now Israel, uh, who's Jacob, who's been renamed uh, Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers... They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Then go down a few verses. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And then from Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to his word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to pause, (coughs) uh, even in the midst of uh, the start of a busy week. Uh, for many here, a stressful week, uh, a tiring week. Uh, We pray that you provide strength to us tonight. Uh, Lord, we come from many different places uh, as we think about our families. For some of us, family has been a place of encouragement and stability. Uh, For others of us, family has been a place of hardship. Uh, Some of us maybe uh, feel very ambiguous about our families or very confused about our families. So we pray that tonight, wherever uh, we find ourselves in relating to our families, that you would teach us and guide us from your word i pray these things in jesus name amen uh well one of my favorite segments on the bachelor uh is when the bachelor yeah it's the time of year right it had to happen yeah when the bachelor gets to hometowns okay hometowns right because you've had all the drama Uh, In The Bachelor, like, the field has kind of narrowed of the contestants, uh, and here you've had all this emotion leading up to the point of hometowns, uh, and yet all the emotion is even more magnified, right? As you go into hometowns, uh, the insecurities are higher. uh, The feeling is like, okay, how much does he like me? Or The Bachelorette, you know, does she like me? Uh, And everything gets magnified, right, because... Uh, they're meeting the families of these people. Uh, it just kind of ups the emotion level. But I think the other thing, if aside from like the dramatic factor <coughs> of hometowns, is that you kind of start to see the contestants a little bit more uh, as they actually are. You kind of get the fuller picture of who they are because... Uh, you get to see some, some snapshots of their families, and you are reminded, right, that uh, none of us exists in a vacuum, uh, that all of us, uh, you know, we maybe pop up to college or pop up to work, you have relationships with people in a particular place, and it's easy to forget we all come from somewhere, right? Uh, we all come uh, from a place that we call it home, and that place uh, isn't in a vacuum, but it was lived out in a particular way and shaped us in particular ways. Uh, And what we find in our passages tonight is that in the midst of that, in the midst of the impact that family uh, inevitably makes on us in our relationships uh, with each other and even with God, in the midst of all that, uh, that God's word provides realism and hope about our family backgrounds. That's our main idea. God's word provides realism and hope about our family backgrounds. Uh, And we're going to see how this unfolds. Uh, in three different ways across these passages tonight. <coughs> uh, the first thing we see in Genesis 50, verses 3 through 4, uh, is that your family of origin is foundational to how you approach life. Your family of origin is foundational to how you approach life. And by family of origin, I mean not only the family that you were, um, you came out of biologically, uh, but the family you spent time with uh, a lot growing up, and maybe in the family that you're impacted with by their absence uh, from your life growing up. And we see a couple different facets of this, the subpoints that come after this. Uh, the first thing is that your family shapes how you approach relationship. Your family shapes how you approach relationships. Uh, As you go back to those bachelor hometowns, right, even like some of the interviews with contestants before you get to the hometowns, uh, as they start to have deeper conversations, the formative power of family always comes up and kind of explaining, well, how did this person arrive uh, at this point in their lives and where they're at with relationships, right? You'll hear things like, well, I have this confidence uh, because of my dad. Or, I don't have a relationship with my mom, and that really hurts, and that's you know part of the deficit I have in relating to other people. Uh, there's always this impact uh, of family that's very foundational uh, to who these people are. And you know if you look at it, you see this uh, in your own life, right? That family is, is the foundation, the training ground for every other kind of relationship you have. And this comes about uh, in the Bible, right? Because from the very beginning... Uh, family is in the story of the Bible. If you go back to the book of Genesis, right, uh, as we looked at uh, at the beginning of the series, right, the man and the woman are made for each other. They're made in God's image together. Uh, they're given this charge to be fruitful and to multiply, to establish families together. that would grow into networks of families to fill the earth uh, and to subdue it. Uh, and that's why as you think about family and you think about your experiences, uh, at every level, Somebody has, regardless of how good or how bad your family experience is, everybody has this longing for home, right? If you think about it, you have this longing uh, for a place of stability, uh, a place of being nurtured, a place of care and concern, uh, and that's part of how God made us, uh, that he made us, that's hardwired into us, that we want to have that place. That's part of what we were made to experience. Um, And that family is uh, inevitably formative for us because of that. And we see this looking at verse 3, that uh, Israel or Jacob's pattern of relationships make a big impact uh, on his sons, uh, right? Uh, Well, who who does dad, uh, how does dad express his love? Uh, Who does dad pay attention to in these verses, right? It starts to set off this ripple effect uh, of how everybody responds to each other. It becomes uh, foundational uh, for them uh, and for how they're going to relate as the story goes on to people both inside the family and to people outside the family, right? Again, family is that training ground that influences every other relationship that we have. Um, And as you see in this family, it's really important that we're aware of how complicated family relationships become. That's the second sub-point there. It's important to be aware of how complicated family relationships become. And odds are, if you're here, you probably didn't grow up in a polygamous family uh, like Joseph did. So Joseph had, I think, 10 half-brothers uh, that were through uh, his fa- one of his father's wives, and then he had a sister uh, and a brother from another one, but also depending on your fa- family background, you might have experiences maybe more close to this. But you think about the, multipli- the multiplication effect of having 12 siblings, right? Uh, and all those siblings have relationships with each other. They have relationships with the parents. You multiply that out, even aside from how functional or not functional that is, that's just a lot of relationships, a lot of different people interacting together. And even if you came from a smaller family, Uh, There's just, even if you had like two siblings or three siblings, um, there's an added layer of complexity just because there's more relationships that are interacting with each other. Uh, And as we see with Joseph and his family, right, there's, and that complexity, there's jealousy that comes in, uh, there's miscommunication, uh, there's, uh, this distancing and hatred that comes in. Complexity can be the breeding ground, uh for a lot of conflict uh, as well. And if you need to go back, listen to the message on conflict, right? To think about dealing with that, but uh, need to be aware that our families are complicated. And it's important to think through, even if you think maybe your family is really simple, the odds are your family was more complicated than you thought it was. And especially as you reflect on where you've been, the older you get and the more experiences you have, the more you're gonna realize that things are a little more complicated than they seemed, if you came from what you think was a simple family. But the question for all of us is, um, what will you do with the complexity of your family background? Um, will you be curious about it? Will you be prayerful about it? Uh, will you begin be willing to get help uh, to talk to somebody if that complexity gets overwhelming? Um, or you just kinda try to stuff down the complexity and ignore it? Uh, we give in, like Joseph's brothers, we give into patterns that are unhelpful or even sinful uh, in dealing with the complexity. Right where the complexity becomes the vehicle for just a lot of conflict, um, and this takes us to our second point uh, from the next passage: that your family of origin is flawed. Your family of origin is flawed. Um, if, if we zoom out for a minute from our whole from our passage to the entire Book of Genesis, uh, Genesis is this just this long narrative of the flaws of human families, that this chain of reaction that gets set off after Adam and Eve don't trust God and they sin, uh, you just see all of these messes and families. I think it's something we should appreciate about the realism of the Bible, that the Bible kind of shines a spotlight on families and human community, um, that yeah, things are actually messed up. There are different degrees of being messed up, but at a fundamental root level, uh, everybody is messed up and every family is messed up to some extent. Right, you see with Adam and Eve, uh, even people who are supposed to be heroes of the Bible uh, have really messy families. Like uh, Noah has this episode where he's drunk and his sons uncover his nakedness. That's kind of embarrassing. Um, Abraham lied uh, to one of the the pagan groups about uh, who his wife was to try to get out of potential trouble. Uh, There's sexual violence between Judah and Tamar. Uh, And then there's Jacob, uh, the father of Joseph, you know, he was a liar and a cheat and a polygamist. So, I mean, who needs reality TV when you have the book of Genesis, right? I mean, there's all this, all these juicy, sorted, this is like even beyond the tabloids, you don't even need the National Enquirer or Us Weekly, just read the book of Genesis and get your fix. Uh, But then you see this, right, as you zoom in to the story of Joseph, then we shouldn't be surprised that things are messy and that things are flawed because that's been what Genesis has been telling us. Hey, because of sin, every aspect of human life shows these flaws and has things that are messed up. Uh, And the thing to think about is that every family has flaws because of sin. Every family has flaws because of sin. Uh, And the opportunity for you is you sort through where you've been and who you are and how you relate to people, how you relate to your families, Is to think about how sin takes shape differently in different families. Sin takes shape differently in different families. And this, um, again, every family is kind of on a spectrum of what they deal with, but every family uh, has to deal with this. A great book I recommend to you called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, trying to orient us towards thinking about uh, how our feelings matter, how our feelings impact our relationships how we relate to God, what it looks like to be healthy in those things. <laughs> uh, but the pastor who wrote it, Pete Scazzaro, tells a story in uh, at the beginning of the book about how uh, he, was, he had planted this really successful, growing church in New York City. Uh, but basically his wife was upset with him. His wife was tired of him. It was just like, man, you're like, driving our marriage into the ground. The way this church is growing He's not growing in a healthy way, and his wife actually left the church for a period of time. She's just like, I can't follow you in your leadership anymore. This isn't healthy, uh, what you're doing. And so they start, he tells the story, they start to go to marriage counseling together. And one of the things that the marriage, uh, plug for counseling, okay? Um, There's no shame in counseling, individually or uh, marriage counseling. But one of the things their counselor told them to do was to kind of draw a timeline of their extended family, go back a few generations, and see, kind of get the stories of grandparents, great-grandparents, and kind of start to get a handle on, well, what went well in those marriages and those earlier families? um, And what was messed up? What was flawed? And the thing that they found out, I think a lot of other people found out, uh, I found this a little bit about some branches of my family, is that Patterns of sin start to show up in similar ways across generations of families, and it makes sense, right? If you think about it, that uh, you're people who, you have one set of issues you're dealing with, you have children, uh, you parent those children, you live in marriage, kind of dealing with the same sort of issues, and... If you're not moving towards more awareness of what your problems are, um, you're probably going to pass those things on down the chain in some form. Uh, And so it's really important to kind of get a handle on, well, what are the patterns of sin uh, in your family? How are things being passed down? Uh, How are you dealing with those things? And it's kind of the challenge of, you know, our family relationships are like the air we breathe, right? Uh, We depend on it. uh, It pervasively impacts us. But so often it's invisible, right? Because we're just used to being in it. And it's kind of how do we draw out what those relationships are, um, and how are they good? But also how do they pass on things to us? Maybe that aren't so good, that aren't healthy, uh, that we need to be able to grow in to have healthier relationships now, and to have healthier relationships as you think about possibly having a family of your own uh, in the future. And so ima- imagine this mindset. Close your eyes. Like I'm going to use Pat. Close your eyes. And imagine uh, that, God forbid, you're a contestant on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, and you've made it to hometowns, and we're at hometowns, and we're seeing the contestant, you know, the guy or the girl of your dreams is up there, but we're seeing your family on the screen and the different dynamics <laughs> of your family that are playing out on the screen. And just to think about are you aware? Uh, of what those dynamics are, what would be the things that you would see playing out on the screen? and You'd be like, "That's my family. I'm proud of them." What would be the things you'd be like? Oh, like this is we've kind of like, <laughs> is, is this on television? What is this? Um, and what would be the things that you just you might be surprised by that you see on the screen? Um, it's something to think about. Maybe if you uh, if you haven't thought about this before. Obviously, you haven't probably thought about in this specific example, but if you haven't thought about your family dynamics more before, uh, think about it over spring break. That'd be my spring break challenge to you. Uh, And the other aspect of, as you start to identify those flaws in your family, uh, the thing to think about is what are you doing with the wounds of your family? What are you doing with the wounds of your family? (laughs) Um, Some of you might have experienced a parent leaving, a parent dying. Uh, some of you might've had stable, but flawed parents. Uh, some of you may have had abusive parents. Uh, as part of my story, uh, with my mother, some of you just might be really confused by your family backgrounds and feel, uh, just really confused about them. But the reality is that because of sin and the impact of sin, right? Everybody to some extent has those family wounds uh, and there's a, there's a spectrum maybe of how deep those wounds run, uh, but you all have them. And the question is, what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do with those wounds? What are you going to do with those places of hurt or of confusion from the impact of your family? Uh, the question of how you deal with those wounds from family, looms really large in the movie Brave, a uh, Disney movie from about 10 years ago, right? Uh, you've got set in kind of this mythical, magical version of uh, medieval Scotland. Nick, can you do a quick Scottish accent for us? Yeah. A lot it. Of- yeah, see, <laughs> I knew you could do it. I, I wouldn't even try that. But. So much better. So, right, there's Princess Merida, uh, who's uh, the, the princess. She has these little brothers. And there's Queen Eleanor. And of course, there's the king. I forget. Do anybody remember the king's name in the movie? I don't remember the king's name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's some, like, Viking-type dude. I don't know. But anyway, it's kind of this story about the tension between the mother and the daughter because uh, Merida just wants to go off doing her own thing. She wants to be the hiker, uh, the bow-and-arrow princess out hunting and fighting. And Queen Eleanor is very buttoned up. Hey, this is what it looks like for you to be a princess. Uh, This is the way that you have to be. And the conflict kind of accelerates when there's this thing called uh, the Highland Games uh, that happens where the different clans of the kingdom send these representatives um, competing for Princess Merida's hand in marriage. And uh, Merida doesn't want any part of this. She wants to be able to compete uh, in the games herself and like, show all these guys up. Uh, but what she ends up doing is she gets a spell from a witch uh turns her mother into a bear. And then she realizes, uh, as she, after the spell has been used, that um, if they don't reverse the spell pretty soon, that her mother is going to be a bear forever. Uh, and she starts to realize, oh, I don't think I want to lose my mother like that. Maybe I'm not dealing uh, with the wounds of my family uh, in the right way. Uh, and hopefully you know, you're not dealing with uh, trying to get witches' spells uh, to deal with the wounds of your family Right? But there are a lot of other ways that aren't helpful that you can deal with those wounds. Uh, you know, alcohol, drugs, pornography, just losing yourself uh, in your work or in busyness, uh, getting in codependent relationships, just doing, just doing everything you can to stuff things down and avoid them and deny them. Uh, those can all be ways of self-medicating instead of actually dealing with those wounds. And so that takes us to our last point. Um, to remember that your family of origin is not ultimate, God is. Your family of origin is not ultimate, but God is. Uh, We see this in our last two passages, uh, looking at Genesis 50 and Ephesians 6. Uh, And the first part of seeing that God is ultimate instead of our family of origin is that you can trust that God is at work in your story. You can trust that God is at work in your story. Um, you know, We could spend like a whole semester <coughs> doing a sermon series on the life of Joseph, uh, but if you fast forward uh, through these chapters in Genesis, uh, Joseph gets kidnapped, uh, he's taken to Egypt, he rises to this position of influence in Egypt, um, and famine starts to afflict the land, and now Joseph is in a position, uh, through the evil that his brothers did, God has used this so that Joseph is in a position to help. And his brothers end up coming kind of to the court. Uh, You know, they recognize him. He recognizes them. uh, And he says these words in verse 20 uh, from chapter 50. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Um, That Joseph was able to see that God was at work in his story, even for the pain and the hurt and the confusion. Uh, and if you notice the two-step that Joseph does is he sees God at work in his story. He does two things, uh, right? First, he, he's real about where the hurt comes from, right? He says, you meant it, you meant it for evil. Uh, seeing that God is at work in your story doesn't mean that you whitewash, uh, hey, people in my family hurt me. Uh, I have these relationships that I don't know what to do with. Uh, maybe you've hurt people in your family, and you've got to figure out how to make that right. It doesn't mean that you whitewash things, Uh, but it means that you can be real about them because it's only when you're real about them that God can start to work on the situation. The more you try to stuff it down and deny it, um, the more you're actually putting an obstacle to God being at work in your story. The first step is to be real, right? That's where God shows up, when we're real. Um, But the second step that he makes is that Joseph acknowledges that God has a higher purpose in his suffering. And that's the thing to think about in your story. Whatever, Again, this can apply to your your joys and the blessings of your family just as easily as it can to some of these wounds. But to see that God has been at work in your story, that God has a higher purpose in your story because God is in charge and God is sovereign over all of your circumstances. Uh, When we looked at Ephesians last semester, uh, in Ephesians 1, there's this great verse, the Apostle Paul said that, uh, In Jesus we have obtained an an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that's really the basis of what Paul says in Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, the only reason you can say that is because God is in charge of everything. Because everything that happens, even as it's part of human decisions that we're responsible for, ultimately it happens because it's part of God's plan. Uh, that God is in charge and that everything that happens is, in some mysterious sense, uh, a part of his plan and a part of his purposes. Uh, this idea of, of predestination of God's sovereignty that can seem really scary if we think about it in the abstract. It's actually something that can give you hope in your circumstances of suffering, uh, to know that you're in the hands of a father as you look to Jesus who loves you uh, and who doesn't waste any of the suffering that we go through. They can all be a part uh, of his work in your story. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that forgiveness and dealing with conflict aren't hard, uh, as we talked about conflict a few weeks ago and thinking about forgiveness, uh, but it means that you can set them against the backdrop of God's purposes in your life. <laughs> and that leads to the last point: <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the last dimension of trusting that God is ultimate, uh, to trust God's future grace for yourself and your future family. <clears throat> to trust God's future grace for yourself and And for your family. Um, And we see this in our passage in Ephesians 6, right? We looked um, last week how the church is called to be this intergenerational community of people from different backgrounds and cultures and generations, um, and how really kind of the way of the world is of intergenerational conflict. uh, But the way of God's people in the church and the hope the gospel gives to our families is that our families can be places. Uh, through Jesus of more growth and unity and love as we look to him and deal with our sin uh, together, and Paul gives this you know, this exhortation for children to obey their parents in the lord uh, for fathers and this extends to some mothers to uh, to not provoke their children Right? there 's this mutual uh, love and respect according to the different places that uh, God has placed us in, and you know we as we started, we talked about how. Uh, in Genesis, right, there's this long line of, well, family is kind of the entry point of sin and how family uh, unleashes kind of uh, frailty and failure in the world. But the other part of the Bible story is that family is also the vehicle God uses to advance his purpose, purposes of grace and redemption in the world. And you see this, uh, again, I mentioned Abraham, right? He did some shady things. But God made promises to Abraham. God's, and this is how we see grace at work in the mess of life and can give you hope in the mess of family. Think about your family in the future, that God called this pagan nomad Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and God said, look, through your family, I'm going to bless all of the families uh, of the earth. Uh, and that was what set the stage for the people of Israel, through uh, whom Jesus came and through whom the church came. Uh, there's this threat of redemption, and part of this threat of redemption is God working through families. That's uh, why the covenant sign of circumcision, the symbol of being in God's family, was given to uh, the sons of believers in the Old Testament. And as you see that move along into the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about baptism replacing circumcision. In Colossians 2, the baptism is the circumcision of Christ. Uh, and there's this thread that continues as the apostles preach in Acts 2, saying that God's promises are for believers and their children. Uh, Acts 16, where the Philippian jailer um, believes and his entire family is baptized, that God's promises are for his people uh, and also for their children, too. It's part of why, in the Presbyterian tradition that underlies RUF, we baptize the children of believers as well, because we believe those promises of God are for them as well. Uh, And that that underpins uh, looking to the promises of God together as a family. that the the gospel is good news, both for uh, older people uh, and even for the littlest ones as well. Uh, So as a wrap up, I don't know how you'd feel uh, if you're actually on that hometown visit, right, if that was actually (laughs) the reality in your life. Uh, As you think about your family, maybe you think you can never measure up to your family. Uh, Like, wow, my parents were so good. I don't know how I could get to that level. Uh, Maybe you feel like you could never move past the pain or the dysfunction of your family, Um, you know, there's kind of those extremes of comparison and fear we can often fall into thinking about our family backgrounds, but the promise of the gospel, the promise of God being at work, even in the messiness of families in the Bible, uh, is that God is a God of the past, the present and the future, uh, that his grace is there for the wounds of the past. His grace supplied the joys of the past that he is with you in the present as you sort out your relationships uh, and all their messiness and all their joys, uh, and that God is the God of future grace, too. That is you, um, whether you approach the future with joy or with fear, thinking about families, that God is a God who can continue to be at work in your life, in the life of whatever family he gives you in the future. And that the proof of this is in his love in Jesus, that he's the God who gave up his only son uh, so that people like you and like me could know him as father, and could have a family with him forever. So look to him as you think about your family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your care for us, uh, that you care for our families no matter uh, what they look like, uh, no matter uh, what their stories are, and that you care for how we interact with them and you care for our future families. And I pray that you'd be with each one here uh, as they sort out uh, their family past, their family present, and their family future, that they would leave those things in your hands. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.